All right. This is awesome. I actually wrote my sermon during worship today. So if you saw me with my phone out, I wasn't texting. I was writing down what God was downloading to me. So let's pray. Father, in Jesus' name, we thank you for the power of your word. We thank you that it is a hammer that smashes mindsets, that comes in. It is a fire that burns away. It has the power to revive us. Lord, we ask you right now, as, as the psalmist says in, uh, in Psalm 119, revive us according to your word. So, Lord, we ask you to come and pour out a spirit of revival that starts from the very core of our beings because the incorruptible seed of the Word of God is living and breathing within us. It is living, it is active, it is sharper than any two-edged sword. It is able to separate the, the, the thoughts and the intentions of the heart. Father, it judges the thoughts and the intentions. It separates soul from spirit. So, Father, I ask now, Lord, that you would come in, you would interrupt every situation, every circumstance that is harassed our lives at the moment, that is bombarding our thought life, that is, that is pulling us down, that is weighing us down, that is causing strife and division in our marriages, in our homes, in our relationships, in our workplaces, even in our own minds. Father, that you would come with the power of your word and you would separate right now and the living word of God would bring a spirit of revival and would revive who we really are, God, your people created in your image, made for your purposes, Father. And I pray, Lord Jesus, that every single one of us, Lord, would feel the, the fire and the heat and the power of the Word living and breathing inside of us this morning. God, that it would stir us up, that it would spur us on, and that it would cause something to ignite on the inside, Lord. Lift us out of our worldly thinking, of our worldly uh, practical uh, moments, Lord. Lord, that want to draw us down and drag us down and pull us away and let us see you. Father, let your word burn in us in that way. Father, let there be the living, breathing power of your spirit operating in and through us right now. We bind every lying spirit. We bind every false spirit. We bind anything and everything that is hindering your people because we are your people, Lord. Anything that is blocking us from hearing you and seeing you this morning. And we will see your power because your word brings truth. It brings life and it brings deliverance. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. All right. Open your Bibles to 2 Corinthians chapter 2. I've got the best husband in the world, just in case you don't know. I'm the only, yeah, he is the only one I have. But um, I tell him he's the best husband I've ever had. Um, <clears throat> during the week he's saying, come on, die, you preach, you preach. So, okay, I'll preach, I'll preach. And then last night about 8 o'clock I said, I don't want to preach, I don't want to preach, you preach. So he's just the best. So he prepared himself overnight. I think he slept probably three or four hours. And then this morning during worship I said, I want to preach. And he just laughed at me. He still got his stuff out because he knows that I could change my mind at any second. And then during the break I said, no, I think you better preach. He goes, he just looked at me, okay, babe. 
And then as the testimony started, I said, yeah, yeah, you better preach. And then the testimonies kept going. I said, no, I'm going to preach. <laughs> Can everyone just pray for Brahm? <laughs> Honestly, I, God literally had to search the whole earth to find him in the back blocks of Indonesia just for somebody that could cope with me. All right. Are we ready? 2 Corinthians chapter 3. I love you, Brahm. You're the best. Yeah, <laughs> Second Corinthians. Okay, Second Corinthians chapter 3, verse 4. Such confidence we have through Christ toward God, not that we are adequate in ourselves to consider anything as coming from ourselves, but our adequacy, or another version says our sufficiency or our ability is from God, who has also made us adequate or made us able in Ourselves to, uh, sorry, where am I up to? Who has also made us adequate as servants of a new covenant, not of the letter, but of the Spirit. For the letter kills, but the Spirit gives life. This is the essence of what it looks like to live with the, with the Spirit of God through the Word of God. The Word of God through the Spirit of God, the Spirit of God through the Word of God. You know, I preached a few weeks back, and I feel like it's almost the cornerstone for everything I'm saying at the moment. So it might be good if you haven't heard it, go back and listen to the podcast. But I posed the question, I think it was on Easter Sunday, which side of the cross are we living on? Are we living on the power side where Peter stood up on the day of Pentecost and the power of God exploded literally and 3,000 men got saved? Or are we like Peter seven weeks prior to the cross, or prior to the day of Pentecost, I should say, living around and living out an existence of fear and self-preservation uh, around a campfire denying Jesus and lying and saying he didn't know Jesus and hadn't, wasn't a disciple of Jesus. And we saw the transformation that happened because of the delineation, the line of the cross that happened and caused power to happen to this man, caused the kingdom of God to come and live within humanity for the very first time. So this is what it looks like for you and I to live as ministers of the Spirit. We need, Brahm's been talking about being ministers of the Spirit, being people who are life-giving ministers. This is what it looks like. And we, we, we want to think that that's easy, but we keep subconsciously pulling ourselves back to the wrong side of the cross. Mentally and cerebrally, we ascend to the thinking and we talk very religiously and knowingly about the power of the cross. And we talk about, yes, I know, and I've read the book of Acts, and yes, I know the book of John backwards, and yes, I know the Bible backwards, I've taught and I believe it. But experientially, we're actually living back here in a place of self-preservation, denying the very power that Jesus has done for us and we refuse to actually live out the works that he has done for us. You see, faith looks like that. True faith is risky. It is living continually on the correct side of the cross. It's, it's kind of like standing, it's like walking on water. It's like standing on air. It's, it's, it's literally like saying, I'm going to ignore my emotional responses right now. I'm going to ignore my, 
uh, you know, my bank balance right now. I'm not, I'm not talking about not having wisdom in these things, but I'm saying from a position of anxiety and worry, I know I'm not going to be anxious. I'm not going to worry about my relationships. I'm not going to worry about my, my job opportunities. I'm not going to worry about my health and all these, all these areas of our natural life that come against us all the time, every single one of us, you and me together. But I'm not going to worry because I'm going to stand on this side of the cross. I'm going to walk on water. I'm going to stand on air and I'm going to trust God. I'm going to position myself to trust him because there is a ministry of the new covenant that you and I are ministers of. Who else are we looking for? What are we waiting for? The next great evangelist to come through town and pack out a, a big hall and we all go run there? No, 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 no. You and I have been made ministers of a new covenant. The hands and feet of Jesus are actually sitting right here in this little church with a blue floor right now. We have the power of God. See, we don't need a blacked out room and, and, and smoke machines and lighting to create an atmosphere that makes us feel good. That's just creating the externals. There's nothing wrong with any of that stuff. But if it replaces us carrying about within us the ministry of the Spirit of God, then we have lost the plot completely. And we have totally and utterly misunderstood what it means to be life-giving ministers. Now, when we finally get our own training center or building, believe me, it's going to be gorgeous, right? It's going to be very cool. It's going to be stunning. But it's going to be filled with people who carry the presence of God. And when strangers and unbelievers or people new walk in, they'll, they'll look at the building and go, wow, this is beautiful. But within seconds, they will be overtaken by the atmosphere that is created by the prayers and the worship of the people inside because we are so strong in our relationship with God. We know what it is to be ministers of the Spirit of God. And it takes faith to stay in that place. How many of you know? <laughs> Hands up, come on, we all know. To stay in that place, it's one thing on a Sunday. Last Sunday, we had like a spirit of revival happen in our meeting. And it's fantastic. And people say, can you do that again this Sunday? Well, it's not anyone who does it. It's you, you and I bring in the atmosphere of faith. Do you bring in the atmosphere of faith? Do you believe regardless of your circumstances? Do we, do we expect regardless of what sort of morning or what sort of week we've had? I've had a fairly interesting week. It's been a challenging week. You know, I don't float in here on a Sunday and go, oh, I've been with the angels all week and now I've got to come and minister. No, I, I trudge through life. It's like walking through quicksand and mud sometimes, you know, in the areas of my thinking and my emotions and the onslaughts that come against me. But I literally have to make a choice. It's like I said last week, I choose to live on the right side of the cross and stand in faith and believe regardless of anything and everything that comes against me in my life. So that's what faith looks like. We sang the song this morning, come and see what God has done. I want to show you two people really quickly in John chapter 1 and John chapter 4. And uh, let's go to John, the Gospel of John. It's, it's really simple and it struck me as I was listening to the, you know, because I'm listening to the audio Bible at the moment. I think I told you this over and over, but I love it. It's, it's a different way for me to to learn the Word of God as well as reading. I love hearing it. I hear it differently. 
And uh, here it is in John chapter 1 at verse 43. It says, the next day he, being Jesus, purposed, I love that, he purposed, he deliberately decided to go into Galilee and he found Philip. First of all, how amazing is that? He finds us. You guys, he's found you. He's found you. He's found you. He's found me. He finds us. He looks for us. You know, I remember um, before I became a Christian, I had an amazing, amazing dream that I literally remember to this, to this day. And the dream basically showed me that God was looking for me and he found me. And uh, so as I read those scriptures, this is very personal because I remember the moment when he found me in my sin. And Jesus, let's continue reading. And Jesus said to him, follow me. Now, Philip was from Bethsaida of the city of Andrew and Peter. Philip found Nathanael. So here's Philip. He's been found by Jesus. Jesus, all Jesus says to him is, come and follow me. And then Philip finds Nathanael, another guy, and says to him, we have found him of whom Moses in the law and also the prophets wrote, Jesus of Nazareth, the son of Joseph. Nathanael said to him, can any good thing come out of Nazareth? He's doubting it, you know, he's questioning, like, how many of us go through life where we're talking about God to our neighbours, to our friends, to our colleagues, to our relatives, and, uh, and that they doubt what we're really saying, they push back, they, they challenge, they question. And you know what Nathaniel, uh, what uh, Philip says to him? Because he says, can any good thing come out of Nazareth? And Philip said to him, come and see. I love that. He says, come and see. That's how much faith and trust he has that Jesus will demonstrate who he says he is. He didn't have to argue with Nathaniel. He didn't have to come up with a three-point sermon or a ten-point sermon discussing why he should believe that Jesus was this man. He just said, let me take you there and let's go and see. Let's come and see who he is. See, this is what faith in action looks like. It's exactly what Ange was saying. We just have to focus on Jesus. We just have to point people to Jesus, to the power of Jesus. So Philip says to him, you know, come and see. He doesn't start talking about what God's done for him and I've just got a, a, you know, a promotion in my ministry and God's called me to this and he's just called me to that. And it, He doesn't say, come and see me. He doesn't start talking about what God, he just says, no, come and see him. He doesn't focus on the good things that God has done so much for him. He focuses on who Jesus is in the goodness of God. I love that. And then we look over in John chapter 4. And here we have the, the story of, the, of the, woman of, uh, the woman at Samaria, at the well of Samaria. It's a famous story about how Jesus comes along and asks for water and, and uh, has this long discussion with her and begins to speak prophetically to her. And um, as she does that, <coughs> she gets very excited. And she says, uh, in fact, in verse 27, it says of chapter 4, At this point his disciples came, and they were amazed that he had been speaking with a woman, yet no one said, what do you seek, or why do you speak with her? Like, they're confused. They're just, you know, the religious mind never understands. Jesus is always 50 steps ahead of, of our thinking and our natural thinking. And um, so the woman left the water pot and went into the city and said to the men, Come. See a man who told me all the things that I have done. This is, this is not the Christ, is it? So once again, we have someone who gets so excited about who God is, who, who God really is, who Jesus really is. 
Here's the Christ. It's not Christ, is it? That she forgets that she's a woman. She forgets that she's, that she's a Samaritan. She forgets that she's despised. She just goes and she starts to become this incredible evangelist to the point that the whole town then ends up coming out to see who Jesus is. All because she says, come and see who this man is. She points people to Jesus. She didn't talk about you know, she didn't go on and on about her, her, her needs and, you know, I just, I've been married five times and now I'm with a guy, he's a loser, he hasn't even asked me to marry him and, you know, and, and you know, yeah, I went to church and, and yeah, I tried praying and yeah, it was good, but you know, it's really hard, life's really hard. <laughs> Do you know how many Christians I meet that talk like that? I'm sorry, but let's get the hammer and I, I love smashing stuff, so let's smash a bit. You know, when we hear words like this coming out of our mouth, I'm not saying it's, we're not allowed to express what we need, but in the midst of that, we have to find Him. We have to come and see Him. All of us have needs. Man, I've gone through huge needs in my life. And, you know, we've been pretty transparent with you guys sharing along the, the way, the stuff even at leadership level, the struggles and the burdens that come with leading God's people and, and the, 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 you know, just the ferociousness of, of stuff that happens, spiritually even. And, um, you know, we need you guys. We need our church. We need to come and stand in the presence of God. We need, you know, I've told you how Bernadette, who's one of our pastors, she pastored me through those dark times through 2016 and 2017. She was the, the one I could stand on with Brahm and with going to the Lord. Like, we need one another, but in the midst of all of that, it's always come and see. It's always come and see. It's not laboring on and lingering in and mulling over and looking backwards and going back into our past and going back over here and maybe it's because of this and maybe it's because of that. It's no, come and see. Come and see. And in those moments in my life, those people have been life-giving ministers because they've kept me on this side of the cross. Come and see, Diane, come on. See what God has done. This is the truth. This is the reality. Pull yourself out of self-preservation. Pull yourself out of denial of the power of Jesus. Pull yourself out of fear and anxiety and worry about what people are saying and come and see what God has done for you. Come on. That's how you live the life. You know, so I'm not putting down people's despair. I'm only preaching again now because, you know, I was in so much despair, but in the midst of it, I had people kept pulling me back. Come and see. He is good. Come and taste and see that the Lord is good. Walk in the power. Remember who you are, Diane. Stand in that place of authority. Come and see. So often we want to keep going back to the past and go back to the fire, the campfire, or, you know, and blaming circumstances in our lives. No, 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 it's time to say goodbye to that and come and see. Come and see what God has done. And that's what this woman of Samaria did. She didn't go and complain. She just said, man, I've met him. Come and see him. He will do this job. He will do whatever your needs are. He is ready to do it. And we are his hands and our, his feet. We are the ministers of his spirit. We are the hands and feet now that are ready to do it. 
But if you and I, as ministers of the Spirit, are still stuck back over here lamenting about our own lives and about, oh, I never have enough money and I never, you know, we've been so dirt poor. We've had those moments in our lives. But every single time we would go to God because we're determined to stand in a place where we're walking on water, where we're standing on air, and we're saying, God, you have got to come through because we've done everything. My husband's working 70 hours a week. He's working in a factory. He's working his guts out. You know, I'm looking after this. We're doing this. We're doing that. But God, we will come. We will draw others to come and see the miracles that you have done. You know, I remember when I got pregnant with Josh, and we were were begging God for a fifth child. And uh, I remember my friend saying to me, man, what are you going to do about a car? What are you going to do now? You haven't got a car. And I said, you wait and see. I was five months pregnant or four months pregnant. I said, you wait and see. You wait and see what God's going to do. I'm believing we will have a Tarago. (laughs) Excuse me, that was like gold back then. I said, you wait and see, we will have a van. Now, that was, that was like, Diane, you're talking rubbish. You know, like here we were, four children, fifth baby on the way, Brahms working in a factory, 70 hours a week, driving one and a half hours one way, one and a half hours back again, leaving at 4.30 in the morning. You know, life was hard. We were in full-time, we were in ministry as well, singing at every church in Australia and um, just ministering, giving out wherever we could. But we were determined to live on this side of the cross. We had, you know, we, I remember uh, having $5 left over every Friday. That was what we had left over from Brahm's salary. And we were talking about it with Jess and Troy in Adelaide this week. We were, we were over there for a couple of nights and we had a movie night with the kids and they're getting takeaway, you know, it costs $70. And I laughed and I said, Jess, do you remember when we had $5 at the end of every week and we'd have the three C's night, chips, chocolate and Coke. And uh, we'd, we'd have enough left over to get one, to rent one video. And that was our, the excitement of our lives. And that's how I set my children on a path of sugar destruction. Yeah, but um, <laughs> anyway, they've forgiven me now, I think. But... Um, you know, like we've, but we, we stood in faith and we believed God. So we've been in those places, but that's where God wants us to live. And always waiting to see, always waiting to see what he's going to do. So that's what they did. However, let's have a look at John chapter 6. And as I was listening to the word of God, you know, going around the house, doing different things, it really struck me that the contrast. So in John chapter 6, there's a whole lot of people that have seen Jesus do amazing things. He's, he's seen them you know, uh, just all sorts of miracles, all sorts of healings, feeding people, all, all sorts of stuff, stuff. And so here we go. This is after the feeding of the, the multitudes with the supernatural provision of the, the loaves, the bread and the fish and everything. Let's have a look in verse 26. And it says, Jesus answered them. So there's this whole crowd. Well, actually, let's go back um, to verse 24. So when the crowd saw that Jesus was not there, nor his disciples, they themselves got into small boats and came to Capernaum seeking Jesus. When they found him on the other side of the sea, they said to him, Rabbi, when did you get here? So now we can read this and go, this is awesome. These people are really hungry for Jesus. They're looking for him. They're searching for Jesus. See, this is what, you know, we we think this is what's happening in church. People are hungry. They're looking for Jesus. But check this out, verse 26. Jesus answered them and said, 
Truly, truly, I say to you, you seek me not because you saw signs, but because you ate of the loaves and were filled. So in other words, he's saying to them, listen, those signs are there to, meant to point yourselves and your hearts towards me. They're meant to point, they're a sign. A sign points you to something else. But instead, all you saw in that sign was the bread. So in other words, they didn't see the sign in the bread. They only saw the bread in the sign. They saw what they could get out of Jesus. So now really their hunger, their, their, their desire to seek for him is really not because they're hungry for him. It's because they're hungry for what they can get out of him. See, they were looking more for a materialistic kind of need. They, they wanted their bellies filled, but their hearts weren't filled. And there's a difference between people whose hearts are filled, even when their bellies are empty. You know, on our Friday nights and our chips, chocolates and coke night, our hearts, we had $5 left over and sometimes we couldn't afford the video. But we would, our hearts were so full. Our hearts were always full. You know, you know what worship really is? Ultimately, our hunger to say, come and see what God has done, that's what true worship should look like. When we gather together and we begin to worship God, it's because something in us is saying, come and see what he has done. This is the one we proclaim. He's the one that we worship. He's the one that we honor. He's the one that we magnify. We magnify him above all our needs. And yet Jesus is, is basically displaying to these people, you actually haven't even seen me in the sign. You just saw the bread. Isn't that tragic? So often we, and, and really when we do that, we position ourselves constantly over here. We grumble, we complain. Church isn't good enough. The pastors aren't doing a good enough job. They're not pastoral enough. I'd love a dollar for every time I've heard that. You know, the church doesn't do this, the church doesn't do that. No, 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 get your eyes off the church. We're not here to worship the church. We're here to magnify him. We're here to look at him. We're here to see who he is, to magnify him. And as we do that, we all get caught up in that place of absolute worship because we're magnifying him. Our lives begin to exhibit him. We begin to find who we really are in God. We begin to take on our position of ministry. It just starts to come out of us. You know, ministry is merely an overflow of your relationship with God. So if you're not actively ministering and giving out, then I have to question your relationship with God. Come on, guys, our ministry, it's an overflow. It explodes out of us, no matter where we are. I've, you've heard me tell the stories. Wherever we go, even on holidays, we basically say, come and see a man. Come and see this man. Wherever we are, I'll get people filled with the Holy Spirit. I'll lead them to the Lord. I've got a, I've got a church member on Bali Beach, on, on Legion Beach, who's a massage lady called Fergie, of course, and... Um, she calls us her pastors. And every time we go to Legion Beach, we've got our chairs and she's, everyone knows that she's their, their masseur. She's terrible. She's the worst masseur you'll ever get. But 
but we talk about Jesus the whole time. It's like, oh, Fergie, no, 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 no. <laughs> but see, wherever we go, we say, come and see. Come and see him. That's what I love. I love watching you guys inviting people. You know, you've invited your friends and you've said, come and see. Not come and see us. Not come and see our floor. Not come and see, you know. <laughs> There's really not a lot to see, but... <laughs> <laughs> But you say, come and see him, because he is here. He is here, and he wants to minister, because he's given us the ministry of the Spirit. He's given us the life-giving Spirit. He's given us the ministry of the new covenant. And, you know, Brahma and I know what it's like to walk through deep depression, feeling like we, we literally felt like we were going to die in 2016, 2017, just the confusion, the attack, the, the mental attack, the emotional attack, the, the sheer confusion of what happened with us. But you know what? There was something on the inside that says, no, he is able. And, and I'm not meant to live. I'm not meant to stay and die in this place. I'm not meant to be here. I'm not going to go to my grave wallowing in my self-pity and my confusion and my... No, 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 no. I'm called to walk on water. I'm called to stand on air. I'm called to declare this is who he is and this is what he will do. So, do we want to see him move? Do we want to see him touch your life? Amen. We're going to pray. We're going to look at him. See, we have the power to live in this life. Never make your life about missing out on something else. I love what Ange was saying earlier about ministering and giving out. You know, I always remember, it, it, like, it's almost uncontainable. Like, it doesn't matter where you are. When you're aware of the fact that you have him and you're a minister of the Spirit of God, it surpasses everything. I always remember going to City Life, coming out of our, our church, you know, devastation in the 80s, and we went over and our beautiful spiritual father, Kevin Connor, who's now passed away, but he, uh, he, it was the very Sunday that he was announcing his engagement after his, um, his wife of so many decades had passed away, he was remarrying, and it was a, an amazing story, and uh, he ended up asking Brahma and I to sing at his wedding, which was the greatest honour for us to be asked by him to do that. But on the day that he announced his engagement, which was an exciting Sunday, and everyone, you know, I've been in that position too where you want to be in church. That was the one Sunday that we'd been asked to go and minister to the kids. So we didn't even think twice about it because, to be honest, I get more excited at the, the, the thought of seeing what God's going to do than about what I'm going to miss out on. Because what I'm going to miss out on is over here, but what, I've, what I'm going to do over here is the river of God flowing out from me to other people. And so we stand up there, and the, and the, and the leaders had asked us to sing for 15 minutes. And I remember standing up there, and we're just, we're just you know, they're kids, they're 12 years old, 11 years old, is that right, Bram? And um, I just thought, well, I'm just going to treat you all like adults, because, you know, you've got the Holy Spirit in you, 
and the Holy Spirit isn't a child or an adult, he's the Holy Spirit. And so we just began to worship and we drew the kids into worship and then I did an altar call, of course I did an altar call, for the baptism of the Holy Spirit. So all these kids come up, all these 8 to 12 year olds are getting baptised in the Holy Spirit and bawling their eyes out. And I saw all these leaders standing around the edges, they're all lost in worship and praying and, and, and just lost in what God was doing. And at the end of it all, it was really, really powerful. So about 15 or 20 kids got baptised in the Holy Spirit that day. And, um, and funnily enough, you know, these moments, I now have peep kids, even from when I did a prophetic activation workshop at Richmond AOG many years ago, and all these kids got filled with the Holy Spirit. It was at a Kids Are Us, or whatever you call it, kids conference, and I prayed for them all. They got filled with the Holy Spirit. A lot of those kids now are pastors and leaders in the body of Christ. So we, you know, we're ministers of the Spirit, continually giving out. There's a reason. There's, there's, a, there's a link that's very powerful. And um, anyway, so I get to the, we get to the end of this day, and because we, we're worshipping, we're just having a ball. And then I said, okay, now we'll hand it back over to the leaders to continue on, because we're done with our 15 minutes. And I remember she got up, and she's crying because it was so powerful. And she goes, well, actually, we're going to close now, because I don't know if your kids realise, but you've been worshipping for one whole hour. None of us realised. See, we think worship can be boring. See, when the Spirit of God is there, nothing is boring. Nothing is boring. You know, when we were in New York, to be honest, after 24 hours, I was bored out of my brains. I think, what am I going to do for the next 10 days? Like, you know, and it wasn't until we walked into Brooklyn Tabernacle and there's one guy up in, in the prayer meeting on the, on the stage with a keyboard and it wasn't about the worship, it wasn't... It, it was about the presence of God. Brahman and I just put our bags down and went, oh, this is like breathing in pure air again. Yeah? In Brooklyn, in New York, in a city that is really lost, in a country that's kind of getting more and more lost. But you know the presence of God, sorry all Americans, but it's true, <laughs> and New Yorkers and Brooklyn people, I love you. But it's true, right? Yes, yeah, they're laughing because they're not true. Um, but, you know, the presence of God is our home. Talking with him is our home. And God said to me, you know, the ones that, the, your loved ones that you're praying for, get your eyes off of their needs and their problems and bring them into a place of my presence because that's where I will speak to them. So, guys, we're going all out to build a place for his presence. And that starts in you. So let's stand. Worship is just saying, come and see what he has done, who he is. He's the one that we proclaim.